This morning we wanted to be focusing on Jesus Christ. I want you to go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, as we talk a little bit more about the Lord in John chapter 1. Some of the titles that were talked about already this morning in this sermon that, that uh, are in this, this presentation, the Lion, the Lamb, the Prince of Judah. There's lots of names given for Jesus. We did a series about 12 years ago on 100 names that can be found in the Bible about Jesus Christ. This morning I'd like to focus on the first part of this message is just talking about one of those names. It's found in the Gospel of John. In fact, John's the only writer that uses this title for Jesus, the Word. We read it in John chapter 1. We're in that first verses of that phrase, of that book. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. John uses that same title, that phrase, on a couple different other passages. He uses it in John, 1 John, the smaller epistle, where he writes these words, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our eyes have handled the Word, the Word of life. He uses it again in the book of Revelation, where he's describing Jesus coming back to this earth. And he says, I saw heaven open and a white horse, and him that sat there, uh, sat upon him was called faithful, true. And in righteousness, he's going to judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. So when he writes these, John is using a phrase that his audience of that day, they would understand. I mean, there are certain terminologies that people of other generations wouldn't understand if we talked about it with them. If we started talking about covid for somebody a hundred years ago, they'd have no idea. If, they use, if we used the phrase talking with them, cell phone, they would have no idea what we're talking about. Automobile, they might have a clue of what's happening. But there's a phrase that was used that John picked up and others picked up that was in that era of that time, people heard this phrase. It was used frequently to refer to something of a bigger idea. In fact, in the Greek society... You have different Greek leaders, philosophers, teachers, who their teaching was spreading throughout the Roman Empire for hundreds of years now, and they talked about such things as light and darkness, health and illness. They talked about the opposites that were all working as opposites, but everything was held together. Heraclitus, he said the power that held everything together in balance, we call that the Word. It keeps everything functioning. When you go a little bit further in history, another individual, Plato, that you've heard about, he talks about there's immaterial parts of life. There's peace, there's joy, there's love, there's truth, there's holiness. He said that all those immaterial parts of life that give quality to our life, that are ideals, that are virtues, he said they are all called the Word. The Word is that which is substantive, not physical, but in the emotions, in the thinking pattern. Then we have another philosopher. He said that which gives everything, rationalizations, that which brings about and brought about everything, that was the Word. They didn't know what, they, what to call that God or that being or that power, so they had a mixture of their theological ideas, but they knew that whatever that was or whoever it was, He's the Word. 
And that idea was popularized even amongst the Jews. As the Jews you know, would talk in the Old Testament, they would, as they wrote in the New Testament era, even of the Old Testament, they knew that when they talked about the Word, they were referring to that which was God's revelation. Whether written or given verbally, the Word was something that was spoken by God, that came from God. But they also understood that the Word could include, in their thinking, some acts of God, some works of God, like, like the psalmist wrote. He said, His Word runs very swiftly. He gives snow, He casts forth ice. He sends His Word and He melts them. So that which is operative, divine operation in the world, that is called the Word. God acting, God's power, God on display. Then you have, you have Jewish philosophers, Jewish teachers, that they wrote that the Word was the shadow of God. So if you want to know God, get to know the shadow or the Word, because that is going to explain to us God. There's a writing that, is, that comes out, that came out, around the times of Jesus. It was put into written form. And uh, it was based on this idea that the Hebrews, when they went in generations in the intertestamental period, you remember from Old Testament history that the Old Testament basically wraps up. And the Jews, for the most part, they're scattered around the Mediterranean world. And most of the Jews did not go back and resettle. They were scattered. And so they lived in communities. And as time went by, they lost speaking the ancient Hebrew. And so a lot of them were adapting or adopting even some other languages. And they're old that by the time of the New Testament, the blending of some of those languages with the ancient Hebrew became and developed into Aramaic. Aramaic was the common form of speech in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time. People in Jerusalem, people in Judea, people in Galilee, they spoke mostly Aramaic. And it was a form, a derivative of Hebrew, but there was words changes. There were some structure changes. So what they did is they started modifying the ancient Hebrew text that most people living that time, they, were, they weren't able to read ancient Hebrew anymore, but they could understand Aramaic, which was, again, very close. But what they did is they started giving oral teachings, oral renderings of the Old Testament when they would preach, they would teach, and they would give it an Aramaic that was called the Targum. And this Targum eventually got written down. And as they wrote it, they would add additional notes or they would explain certain things. And it gives us an idea what they thought about Old Testament scriptures and how they interpreted or understood Old Testament scriptures by looking at what was being used very commonly in Jesus' day in the synagogues. And Jesus probably was exposed to it, no doubt, as he was a youngster. And so it gives us that idea of, okay... When we look at it, is there any footnotes? Is there any usage of the word, that phrase, in their Old Testament addition uh, of the Hebrew into Aramaic? And there is. And where you find it, it's very interesting that the word is what they understood is God. When they would use that phrase. I'll give you a couple examples. When you get that story of the death, uh, the, the death coming upon in the plagues, upon the... Uh, upon the Egyptians, the night of Passover. The passage says the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel, he will not suffer. And then he uses the destroyer, the destroyer to come into your houses. The question that comes up in, in the Hebrew scholars is, who or what is the destroyer? 
And now many people have, have rendered the word the destroyer in a lot of modern uh, translations. They have called it the angel of death. And that's where you get the idea that there was an angel of death, even though it's not specifically stated, an angel of death. Or some will say, well, maybe it was Christ in the Old Testament coming. It was maybe it was God himself. We, we, you know, that, that's something that we're not totally clear of from the Hebrew. But what we do know is that the people of Jesus' day in the Targum that was being used in the synagogues regularly, they translated it this way. He will not suffer the word to come into the houses. The word was a divine being that was bringing about this death. They understood the word was divine, heavenly. In fact, when Moses writes in the Targum, they put it this way. When Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to go out and meet with God, and at other times he refers to the cloud as the word. In this passage, it says to meet with God. They translated it to meet with the word. So you get a sense that when New Testament writers, New Testament Jews are reading John's writing, they're understanding this is somebody very, very important. The, G- the Greeks, as they read John's writings, they understand the word is somebody, something very significant. They understand it as, if we, we could just you know, make it all alliteration, they understand this is divine. This is power. This is God's purpose. This is God's, God's personage. This is that which is profitable. That which we want is all summed up in Jesus Christ. And they would understand that whole, that, uh, that idea of in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. And they, that made sense to them that this was the power. This was the person. This was the one who gives peace. This is the one that gives all virtue, gives, gives purpose to our life. The one who gave us life. And so John writes and says, what are you going to do with Jesus? He doesn't say it that way. But at the end he says, I've written these things that you may believe on him. So he tells us all this information about Jesus in just a little simple phrase that they would, uh, they would understand that this is a magnificent person. This is God in the flesh who came and died, allowed himself to be beaten, bruised, and battered so that we could have our sins forgiven. What have he done with them? That he died, went into the tomb, stayed there for, for a, you know, until Sunday morning, and then he resurrected. What have you done with him? What have you done with the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot come unto the Father except through me. What have you done with him? That's what John's writing is all about. That you believe in him. That you accept this word, this person who is God as your personal Savior. If you have never done that, let me say something to you. You need a Savior just like the rest of us. Just like everyone on the earth. Because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We need a Savior to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, the Word. So what have you done with him? If you have never asked him to be your savior, this Easter season is the season that you should turn from your sin, repent, and ask Jesus Christ to give you the free gift that he purchased for you, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. You need to call upon Christ if you have never done that. 
But if you do, keep this in mind. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. Now let me ask you about another, another word. That's the, written, that's the living word of God. But you who are believers, which is the bulk of you here today, you have probably at some time can point to a time where you put your faith in Jesus Christ. What are you doing with the written word of God? How are you interacting with it? Now, the Bible makes it very clear that what we're supposed to be doing with the Word of God is we're supposed to be valuing it. It, it is, I mean, it is a precious thing to have, to have a Bible in your lap, to have it on your phone, to have access to it. And most of us have access to multiple different Bibles so that we can study them. We are blessed people to have the Word, the written Word of God. We should value it, not take it for granted. As well, what we're told is we're supposed to obey the Word. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Jesus tells us as well that in his Word that what we're supposed to do is we should be on a regular basis, be involved, be engaged, be reading the Word of God. Where not only did he say, I esteemed it more than my necessary food, but we read about the Bereans, who they searched daily the Word of God, to make sure that what they were being told was true. Do you read the Bible? Do you consider it your necessary food? What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need the Word of God. Not only are you supposed to be engaged in it and reading it, but you're supposed to be studying the Word of God in the sense that you are rightly able to divide the Word of truth, to make sense of it, to know what it says to make sure that you're following the pattern. But there is one area, one discipline, that I fear the majority of us don't even do anymore. We don't even engage hardly ever. And that is the memorizing of the Word of God. Taking time to put it in our minds. To just pause and meditate on it. Oh, we do great with trivia. We can remember recipes, sports stats. We can remember jokes and ditties. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can do pretty good with memorizing lots of trivia. You can make a lot of money. You can go on Jeopardy. You can win a million and a quarter dollars if you are. This was uh, not Jeopardy. This is uh, who wants to be a millionaire? This was the final question that got the guy as... $1.25 million. Do you know the answer? Which of these U.S. presidents appeared on the television series Laugh-In? Now let me ask this question. How many know what Laugh-In is? Okay, the handful of us that remember it. Okay, which president appeared? Johnson, Carter, Nixon, or Ford? It was Nixon. There you go. You just won a million and a quarter. Get it from Monopoly because I don't have it. Or, Or maybe now you can go to Jeopardy. And win, you know, $2.5 million. If you understand a lot of stuff. Hey, I'll give you the question. Let's see how you do with it. The question that he finally failed and he stopped being, you know, the champion for those, uh, the, those episodes. Here was the question. Or here was, excuse me, it's Jeopardy. Here is the answer, okay? You have to come up with, and it went this way. Most of this firm's 70,000 seasonal white-collar employees work only four months a year. Dun, 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 What's the answer? What's the question? Who is or what is? Wrong. 
His answer, by the way, is who is FedEx? And he lost. Who is H and R Block? Is the right answer. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we just missed out on a two point five million dollars. Okay, let let me give you a better chance. Okay, this is the guy who is the great the greatest of all times for Jeopardy. Here's a couple questions he got wrong. Let's see how you do. Okay. The snowy dome of the tallest volcano in the lower 48 states is often shrouded in clouds. What is... You just won $4.8 million. You just beat that guy. You are so smart. Can you adopt me? Here's another one. 2012 poll by Britain's National Army Museum voted this man, born in 1732, as Britain's greatest military enemy. You guys are so smart. Who is George Washington? Okay, I'll give you... He came to power 34 days before FDR and left it 19 days after him. What'd you say? Who is Adolf Hitler? You guys are rich. You guys are great. And it's good to know trivia. And it could make you good money at times. But what about memorizing the Word of God? There's a, there's a professor who used to teach at, at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he proposed that instead of having men, when they graduate, put out a paper or go through some type of, of, of examination, like an ordination examination, what we should do for our graduates is require that every single one of them say 1,000 verses by memory because it'll do more good for their ministry than anything else we're doing for them. When Martin Luther was doing his ministry, and I don't advocate everything that he did, but Martin Luther talked about in his growing up years that he had a priest that would encourage them to memorize Bible verses that he would write out and give to them. He said, what I found amazing is that when I got into my seminary training, there was people who were getting their doctorates through the Roman Catholic University who never, ever in their life opened up a Bible, ever. But they were getting doctors of theology. He said, when I finally came to the conviction that there is uh, salvation by grace, not works, he said, what helped me the most to come to the conclusion that the Bible is the sole authority and not the church is the, the scriptures that I had memorized as a youngster. The one author put it this way, one Christian writer that many of you have read his books, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single exercise pays greater spiritual dividends. Your prayer life will be strengthened. Your witnessing will be sharper. Your attitudes and outlook will begin to change. Your mind will become more alert and observant. Your confidence and assurance will be enhanced. Your faith will be solidified. May I be so silly this morning as to give you ten simple reasons why you as an individual, you as a family, you as a couple, you as teens should memorize Scripture. Number one is Jesus did it. Jesus memorized Scripture. We look at his teachings. And Jesus in his preachings and in his teachings that are recorded in Scripture, he quoted Scripture around 180 times. In quoting that that amount of Scripture, he spoke from 29 different books of the Old Testament. If Jesus thought it was important for him to memorize Scripture, to have it at hand and disposable uh, usage for his ministry, then obviously 
If Jesus needed to do it and it said that he should do it and did it, you and I should. Number two reason. God calls us to memorize Scripture. God encourages. He commands us. We look at multiple texts. We go to the book of Deuteronomy where when the Jews were coming at Mount Sinai getting the law of God, they were told this. These words which I command thee shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently unto your children, shall talk of them when you sit, walk by the wayside, lie down, rise up, when you bind them upon your hands and as frontlets. What they understood, and they made it their practice, is, well, let's just take and write the Bible down, and we'll stick it in a little, a little box thing that will tie to our heads. Therefore, we have the Word of God in front of us as, an, as a frontlet between our eyes. That's not what he was advocating. He was advocating that you would know the Word of God so well that you could talk about it. You could converse about it in your, with your family. You didn't have to wait to go to the, to the t- uh, tabernacle. You could do this regularly where you could bring up Scripture at a mealtime. When you're lying is your family. Again, their houses were different. Their tents were different. They were one-room settings. So you have the kids there. They can't sleep. You could quote Scripture to them. You could, as you're, as you're traveling through in the caravan through the wilderness, you could be bringing up Scripture, helping them. Can you parents do that with your kids? You need to be memorizing Scripture so you can instruct your kids, give them answers. We read that in Psalm 1 where it describes the, the righteous man, the one who loves the Lord. It says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in God's law he meditates day and night. We understand where God wrote in the book of Colossians. He said, let the word of God dwell, abide, live, manifest itself within you richly, in your minds, in your spirits. There's a third reason. If you memorize scripture, it'll help to transform your mind. It'll help transform your mind. Here's the problem that you and I have. The problem that we have, even as believers, is that as we think, that's what we become. And we struggle with what we think about. We, we want to do what's right, but what does Romans say? You know, I, I, what I want to do, what is right, I find myself, I, I don't do that. And the, the right that I want to do, I don't do that. And the wrong that I, that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. And he says, there's this war within me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I'll give you a tool that God has given you. God says that if you get into the Word of God, you then will not be conformed to this world, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says in the book of uh, Corinthians, casting down every imagination, every high thing or thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So you're tempted to get angry. How do you deal with that temptation? How do you bring it so that you don't get so angry as you're driving? Have Scripture in your mind. Memorize. Have Scripture that will help you to talk about that idea that, that the angry person is like a city without walls. That, uh, talk about the idea of bringing your spirit under control. Memorizing Scripture to help your mind. In fact, the, uh, the Apostle Paul, or Peter, excuse me, he wrote, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, whereby are given us great and precious promises found in the Word of God, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Through the promises that God has given, the Word of God, you might experience this transformation so that you are more like Christ. 
the peace of, this, of God that dwells within you, so that you have that joy, so that you have that, that answers to give. In fact, let's go ahead and give you another one, to overcome temptations. To overcome temptations. Jesus Christ, he talks about his own experience based on Psalms. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So when Jesus is tempted, he understands that we are sanctified through the truth. Well, the scriptures that he had memorized, that he had used, that he says that he would use to sanctify us, he meditated upon. And when Satan comes to him and Satan starts tempting him to change the stones into the bread, Jesus responds with scripture. It is written. When Satan comes and he says, hey, you got to cast yourself down and God won't let the angels, he, the angel, he won't have the, he'll have the angels come so your feet won't hit the ground. Jesus responds with scripture. When he says, hey, if you bow down before me, I'll give you all this. You don't have to go through the cross. Jesus responds with scripture. When you are tempted, can you respond with scripture that you have memorized that deal with your besetting sins or sin? You know, there's one weapon in the arsenal weapon. We're going to be starting a series on this right after Easter. We're going to be talking about the believer's armor and the spiritual battle that we're in. And there's one weapon and only one that is the offensive weapon. And that is the sword of the Spirit. That's the Word of God that you can use in your spiritual battles to, uh, to fend off Satan's wiles. My friend, you need to be memorizing the scriptures so you can be more Christ-like, so that you can change and bring into captivity your thoughts so that you will overcome temptation, so that you better obey God's word. We read in the scriptures where this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate therein day and night, that idea of chewing the cut over and over, and uh, with this purpose that you may observe to do according to all that is therein, written therein. In order to enhance your ability to obey, you need to memorize scripture. Now let me ask you, do you want to obey God? Yes or no? Then you need to memorize scripture. It will help you to obey there's another reason why. It'll enable you to minister to others better. There are multiple passages of scriptures that talk about one another passages. There's a series that we've done in the past that talk about helping one another, greeting one another, receive one another, pray for one another. And there's one of them that comes up in Romans that talks about comforting one another. Well, that implies that there's going to be times when we're interacting with each other and somebody's discouraged. Has that ever been your case? that you have been discouraged? Has it ever been your experience as a believer that you've run into another believer who is just being overcome by the problems and the difficulties and the trials of life? And what do you say to them? Well, in that text that in Romans that talks about comforting one another, he makes this comment about get toward one another giving hope via the comfort of the Scriptures. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that if you don't have Bible verses memorized? If you don't have something right there that the Spirit of God can pull out of the library bank of your mind, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God brings that to you to be able to say to this person, to just remind them, because you memorize that I will never leave them nor forsake them. You have memorized scriptures where he talks about your sins I will, I will remember no more. You have passages that Jesus talks about being answered, uh, giving answers to prayer. If you don't have those verses at hand, then 
you're kind of ministering with your hands tied behind your back. But God says, I want you to do this. I want you to be able to minister to one another and equip yourself to do that. Memorize the scriptures so that you fulfill this idea that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. So you need to be memorizing. Now, I know what some of you are saying. I can't even remember the names of my kids. When I call them out, I go through, you know, Tony, Becky, Shelly, Ben, and whatever the dog's name was, I add to it. That I forget, and I so easily forget. It is amazing how when you do right, God assists us to do right. That God will help us to be able to memorize his word because he wants you to memorize it even more than you do. So let's not give excuses, let's give effort. Let's give God effort. Now maybe some of you are so adept, and some of you are. Some of you are so brilliant, you can memorize chapters. Hey, I'm just thankful if I can do one verse. I, I mean, nobody else in this room does this, I'm sure. But there are times when I'm talking to people and I'm going, there's a verse about this. I don't know where it's at, but it's on this side of the page. <laughs> None of you ever do this, I'm sure. But it's on this side of the page, right in here, and I have to flip through five or six pages. But it's, by memorizing, it'll help us. And by the way, does, does memory improve if we work it? Yeah, well, some of us are afraid to work it too hard. Okay. But we ought not, not with the Word of God. I'll give you another reason. Memorizing God's work will help you. This is a no-brainer. For you to be a witness, for you to share your beliefs, for you to talk about Jesus Christ, to talk with Him. Memorizing Scripture. If you haven't even memorized the most simplistic way of sharing the gospel, then please, by pray tell, memorize at least these few verses. They are just a starter's manual of sharing the gospel. But memorize the Word of God. Give out the Word of God. You can't do it if it's not in your brain. I know you can tell your story, but I remind you that the power of God to save souls is in the Word of God. Share the Word of God. Share the Word of God. God can use your story. He can use your testimony. But, but His Word is powerful. And give them His Word because that can work in their hearts and that can sow seeds. It can generate as time goes by or germinate. Memorize the Word of God will help you to better understand God's will for you. Do you remember the passage that talks about renewing your mind? That coincides with this idea that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of our mind through scriptures. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. For, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one here. But there are moments I struggle to, what is the will of God in this moment? What is the will of God for me at this time? What is the will of God for making this decision? By having Scripture at hand that I can meditate on, that I can keep in my mind, that will help give me direction, give me answers. It says in the book of Psalms, Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. That doesn't mean he sat with the Bible all day, all night, but they sat with the Word of God in their mind. He says, Thou, through thy commands, you make me wise. We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God for this reason. God will make you more fruitful in your Christian life. The author that I quoted talked about how it will help you in your prayer life. Well, the uh, uh, servant Joshua said, This book of the law shall meditate there in day and night, for then you shall make your way prosperous, you shall have good success. 
talking about the righteous person. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by a river of water that, he says, brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth, he does prosper. My friend, you need the word of God. You need the word of God in your life. Jesus made this statement. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he went on, he says, he that abides in me, and the word abides isn't what you do here right now. Abide is you're really sitting down, making yourself comfortable. You're having that intimate uh, house, family type of fellowship. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Watch what he does as he goes on. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear fruit, and you be my disciples, bearing much fruit. God says, Jesus said, if my words abide in you, I will make you more fruitful. You need the Word of God. You need the Word of God for another reason. It'll bring you closer to God. It'll help you to just think about Him, dwell upon Him, meditate upon Him. Whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. How did he say it a little bit later in James' epistle? Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to us. My friend, you need to be memorizing the word of God. Now, I, I'm not doing this, you know, real openly, you know, to, expecting a whole lot of answer. Why don't you? Why don't you memorize Scripture? Maybe, maybe it's hard. Maybe it's because it takes too much effort. Uh, my kids don't need it. We're good enough. No. You and I, we know. We know we need the Word of God. Man, we need the Word of God. Memorize it. Take time. I'm convicted about this. I'm deeply convicted. That's why it's like, I want these memory cards put out in our bulletin. I, I, this, is, this is not just you know, something nice to do or to be a, a bulletin filler. This is something we need. I mean, I don't, you don't have to make, make this your memory card, memory verse. But do something. Do something as a family. Men, you're to be the leaders of the home. Be the leader. Go home today. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your family. We're going to start a memory program. We can go online. We can find memory verses, a, a page of them. And we can just, this is the, what we're going to work on for this month, these memory verses. And when, when we sit down at the table, we're going to just spend some time, a few minutes, we're going to talk about how you're doing in the memory verse. Your kids will put you to shame in what they can do. You know, they'll, they'll have it down pat, put it to music, and they'll have it down in 10 seconds. Okay. But that's Okay. Wouldn't you like your kids to be able to be a Bible library filled with the Word of God? And I tell you, they're going to need it in the future days. If the Lord tarries, they need the sword of the Spirit. They need the protection of the Word of God. This isn't going to be easier for the next generation of Christians living in this world. Why don't you start memorizing Scripture this week? Say, God, I will. You are worthy. You are worthy of me valuing the Word. So much so that I put it in my heart. Father, I pray, help us.
to not be just hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. Help us, Father, to be individuals who actually practice this discipline. And, Father, I pray that it would be productive and profitable in our hearts in the days ahead. Thank you for the teachers that instructed me in memorizing. Thank you for Sam Tloyan requiring us that semester to memorize seven verses every week. How that has been beneficial ever since those Bible college days. And they have come up time and time again. Thank you for his impact, his influence that way. I didn't thank you for those tests, those quizzes back then. But they were good. They were good. Thank you for these folk listening this morning. And I pray that a good many of them would take this to heart and would take and make this their practice. Thank you for the Easter season. And Father, I pray, if there's any here who have yet to call upon Christ, that they would do that. Your heads are still bowed, your eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, and you have yet to ask Christ to be your Savior, we have people who are going to the right-hand side of the auditorium to a door that are going to wait there for just a few moments. After the service, I'll wait here at the front as well. Please come and see us, or right now, Right now, feel free to get up as the instrumentalist plays. Just feel free to get up and go and talk with one of those individuals about knowing for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You can do that. Or you can see us afterwards. But friend, make sure you're on your way to heaven and you know Christ. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being worthy, being our Lord, being our God. Thank you for allowing us to worship you this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name.